MSW Media. Thanks to Delete Me for supporting the show. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom dailybeans and use promo code dailybeans at checkout. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, November 21st, 2023. Today, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals deals a devastating blow to the Voting Rights Act. The Supreme Court rejects former officer Derek Chauvin's appeal in the murder of George Floyd. Senator Mike Lee is promoting a debunked conspiracy theory about a January 6th rioter. The appeals court hears arguments over Trump's limited gag order in the D.C. special counsel case. And Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin makes a surprise trip to Kiev. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana. Happy, uh, happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday to you. Listen, I just want to say I know that we are listening to this on November 21st, but Monday, November 20th is Transgender Day of Remembrance. Yeah. And I just want to send a big love and just love to the trans community that supports the Daily Beans. We have had a number of losses this year alone, mostly uh, the majority of trans women of color. And so I just want to send a a shout out to my trans community to say, I see you and I am fighting beside you. And I will not stop fighting until we have full equity for our community. So I love you all. And I'm thinking about you today. Absolutely. Same. I I see you. Um, We are here. And um, just thank you so much for for being you. Yes, that's all. All right. uh, Big show today. We're going to take a look at the current media landscape with an interview with my friend Dan Persgoda. He's a former legacy media employee who has since gone independent. If you aren't familiar with that name, you probably will be soon. He was the producer behind the January 6th committee's Cassidy Hutchinson testimony. And he was also the producer that created the moment of levity that we had during those hearings with the Josh Howley running through the halls. Oh, yeah. His heels didn't even touch the ground. <laughs> they did not. Ain't nothing going to break a his stride um, as he was running. And we know, I think Lucas Kuntz is running against him um, for his seat. Uh, but I'm going to be talking to Dan Persgoda. We're going to talk about the media landscape. That's going to be later in the show. Also, today we had the uh, appellate court uh, gag order hearing. Don't call it a gag order. The limited gag order, narrowly tailored, issued by Judge Chutkin against Donald Trump in the D.C. coup conspiracy case and his plot to overturn and block uh, the peaceful transfer of power. Now, the arguments did not really go well for Trump's lawyers. It it seems like what's going to happen is the appellate court is going to uh, lift the stay and reinstate the gag order, though they may more narrowly narrowly tailor it uh, to allow Trump to attack Jack Smith, but perhaps not his family. We'll see what happens. They could remand it back to Judge Chutkin to make that decision and more narrowly tailor it herself, or they may do it themselves. We will keep you posted. But that nah. happened today. The shit he's getting away with. It's unbelievable. It's Any other person. unbelievable. Yep. 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 All you got to do is run for president and you can break the law. Good Lord. So 
that's what's uh, happening. We're going to cover that on the next episode of the Jack podcast. There is a new episode out now. You can hear it now. Uh, but this story will be in the next one. All right. We have a lot of news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up from Politico, a federal appeals court issued a ruling Monday that could gut the Voting Rights Act, saying only the federal government, not private citizens or civil rights groups, is allowed to sue under a key section of the landmark civil rights law. The decision is out of the Eighth Circuit, and it will most certainly be appealed, and it's likely headed to the Supreme Court. Should it stand, it would mark a dramatic rollback of the enforcement of the law that led to increased minority power and representation in American politics. The appellate court ruled that there is no private right of action for Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, which prohibits voting practices that discriminate on the basis of race. Only the government can sue. Yeah, it's fucking unbelievable. That, in practice, would severely limit the scope of the protections of the second uh, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. On paper, those protections are themselves unchanged by the ruling. But for decades, private parties, including civil rights groups, individual voters and political parties, have brought Section 2 challenges on everything from redistricting to voter ID requirements. So like Mark Elias, Mm -hmm. if he wanted to file a, a MAPS lawsuit, he wouldn't be allowed to in certain states. After viewing the text, history, and structure of the Voting Rights Act, the district court concluded that private parties cannot enforce Section 2. The enforcement power belongs solely to the Attorney General of the United States. That's what they said. The majority opinion from the three-judge panel of the St. Louis-based Eighth Circuit was authored by Judge David Strass. He's an appointee of Donald Trump, Donald Trump uh, and joined by Judge Raymond Grunder. He's a GW appointee. Chief Judge Levensky Smith, another Bush appointee, actually dissented. The ruling has put the Voting Rights Act in jeopardy and is very cavalierly tossing aside critical protections that voters have very much fought and died for. That's so uh, said that's Sophia Lynn Lakin. That's the director of the ACLU's Voting Rights Project, who argued the case in front of the appellate court. The decision originates in racial gerrymandering case, a uh, particular one out of Arkansas, where the state chapter of the NAACP and others alleged that the state's legislative district violated the Voting Rights Act by diluting the voting power of black voters. A lower court judge, also a Trump appointee, ruled in early 2022 that he couldn't decide the case on its merits because he found there was no private right of action, that effectively they had no right to bring the lawsuit. On Monday, the circuit court affirmed that finding. The Eighth Circuit covers Minnesota, Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Missouri, and Arkansas. Appeals courts covering other states have proactively found a private right of action, with the circuit split making it very likely the Supreme Court will want to weigh in on this. At least two Supreme Court justices have signaled an openness to the argument that non-governmental groups have no role in demanding the enforcement of the Voting Rights Act. In, uh, in, in a 2021 ruling that made it harder to win on Section 2 claims, Justice Gorsuch wrote in a concurring opinion that the court was explicitly not ruling on whether private rights exist. Our cases have assumed without deciding that Voting Rights Act of 1965 furnishes that right. That's what he wrote. He said lower courts have treated this as an open question. Justice Clarence Thomas concurred with Gorsuch's opinion opinion at the time. A decision to bar private challenges under the Voting Rights Act would reverse decades of legal practice. Outside groups have repeatedly brought successful Section 2 challenges and litigate alleged violations of the law far more frequently than the federal government does. Quote, we're taking orders of magnitude of a different of a difference in terms of enforcement of these rights. And you also have to remember, it depends on who's in the White House. Right. Right. Merrick Garland, attorney general of this DOJ, brings all kinds 
of lawsuits uh, pursuant to the Voting Rights Act. But if you get uh, somebody else in there, a Republican in there, do you think they're going to do that? No. no, no fucking way. While the Department of Justice can, and under President Biden, increasingly has brought Section 2 challenges, private groups have been the main drivers of these lawsuits. It's hard to overstate how important and detrimental this decision would be if allowed to stand. That's Rick Hassan, a prominent election law expert at UCLA. If minority voters are going to continue to elect representatives of their choice, they're going to need private attorneys to bring those suits. The immediate, the immediate next step following Monday's ruling was not clear. Legal experts expect the case to end up in front of the Supreme Court. The SCOTUS could choose to hear an appeal directly, or the entirety of the Eighth Circuit could weigh in on Bonk uh, and on the first case. Lakin, the ACLU attorney, said early Monday that the challengers had not yet decided their next step, whether they're going to file on Bonk with the entire panel of the Eighth Circuit or go directly to SCOTUS. Uh, But they said in recent, uh, the recent circuit split makes her believe SCOTUS would be interested in taking up the case. All right, A.G., thank you so much. This one's from ABC News. Back to the Supreme Court. Well, then, on Monday, they rejected former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin's appeal of his conviction for second-degree murder and the killing of George Floyd. Some better news from what we reported yesterday on the other shooting. Now, the justices did not comment in leaving in place state court rulings affirming Chauvin's conviction and and 22-and-a-half-year sentence. Chauvin's lawyers argue that their client was denied a fair trial in 2021 because of a pretrial publicity and concerns for violence in the event of an acquittal. Floyd, who, as we know, was black, he died on May 25th of 2020 after Chauvin, who is white, pressed a knee in his neck. God, it's so hard for me to read this. I have such a visual in my head. Yeah, we all saw He pressed a knee on his neck for nine and a half minutes on the street outside of a convenience store where Floyd tried to pass a counterfeit $20 bill. A bystander video captured Floyd's fading cries of, I can't breathe. Floyd's death touched off protests worldwide, some of which turned violent and forced a national reckoning with police brutality and racism that's still playing out. Chauvin separately appealing his conviction on federal civil rights charges. Uh, Well, at least they upheld that conviction. I agree. Next up from Ryan Riley at NBC. Republican Senator Mike Lee, based Mike Lee, said over the weekend he planned to question the director of the FBI on whether a Trump supporter currently serving four years in federal prison is an undercover federal agent. Mm -hmm. Uh Yeah. Okay. Mike Lee of Utah, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, promoted on his personal Twitter account, I don't call it X, a conspiracy theory that one of the January 6th videos released at the order of House Speaker Mike Johnson shows an undercover federal agent disguised as a Trump supporter. Quote, I can't wait to ask FBI Director Ray about this at our next oversight hearing. That's what he said on, po- on posted on X uh, just before midnight on Saturday evening, resharing a post that suggested a man in a MAGA hat was actually an undercover federal agent. Quote, I predict that, as always, his answers will be 97% information free. Ugh. In reality, the image Lee shared shows January 6th defendant Kevin Lyons, a self-proclaimed idiot and Trump supporter who stole a framed photo of the late civil rights icon Rep. John Lewis and a staffer's wallet from then-Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office. The video shows that Lyons, as he's leaving the Capitol building, briefly shows his hands as a heavily armed tactical team comes inside the building to get control of the riot. Lyons is holding an item in his right hand. Conspiracy theorists claim Lyons was holding an FBI badge. But the item is a vape that Lyons was seen holding earlier that day, although the quality of the footage makes that difficult to say with 100% certainty. I'm an idiot. I realize that, Lyons said to a judge during his sentencing in a hearing in July, 
as NBC News reported. I was stupid. I don't know what came over me. I apologize to you, the country, and my family. The Federal Bureau of Prisons records show that Lyons is currently in federal custody and is scheduled for release in 2027. Video that Lyons shot, previously released in connection with another January 6th case, shows him pocketing a wallet that he stole from a jacket inside Pelosi's office. As of Monday afternoon, Lee's post has not been taken down. The original post, reshared by Lee, was posted by a January 6th rioter named Derek Evans, who pled guilty to a felony and was sentenced to three months in federal prison. He's now running for Congress as a Republican in his home state of West Virginia. For fuck's sake. Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, Republican ally of the former guy, also posted false claims about Lyons, but deleted the allegation after being called out by other social media users. Quote, that's a law enforcement badge in his hand while disguised as a Trump supporter in a MAGA hat, she said on Twitter before she edited her post to remove the allegation. I've said it all along. MAGA did not do this. Okay. But are they political prisoners then? Why did you go to the... I I can't. I can't. I I hate her so much. She's so dumb. (laughs) Even the far-right conspiracy website Gateway Pundit walked back their post about Lyons, saying it now appears this is a vape. When NBC reached out to, to Mike Lee, they got his spokesman, Billy Gribben, but he dodged questions about the false claim. Quote, Senator Lee would like Director Ray to answer important questions regarding the uncuffed rioter fist-bumping Capitol Police inside the building, the unidentified pipe bomber, and other individuals whom the FBI and fraudulent January 6th committee have shown a surprising lack of interest, he said. So he pivoted, didn't answer the question. The uncuffed rioter fist-bumping Capitol Police, by the way, is January 6th defendant Jared Owens, who was charged last month. Owens was one of several rioters who were released from custody on January 6th because police officers were under violent attack at the Capitol and didn't have the resources to process the enormous number of rioters. Owens, who's a Trump supporter, allegedly assaulted law enforcement officers with a barricade on January 6th, and Capitol Police officer arrested him after witnessing Owens push another unidentified U.S. Capitol Police officer up against a wall inside the Capitol. That's according to the FBI. A folding knife was found in Owens's right front pocket. The FBI has not been able to identify, by the way, the pipe bomber. Uh, at both the, the bombs that were placed at the RNC and the DNC headquarters on the night of January 5th, but is offering a half a million dollar reward for information leading to their arrest. Okay, thank you, AG, for that. This is from CNN. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin visited Kyiv on Monday in a surprise trip to Ukraine to reemphasize the U.S.'s support for the embattled country amid other pressing challenges abroad. And I quote, the message that I bring you today, Mr. President, is the United States of America is with you. That's what Austin told Ukrainian President uh, Vladimir Zelensky. He went on to say, we will remain with you for the long haul. What happened here in Ukraine, that not only matters in Ukraine, but it matters to the rest of the world. It certainly matters to the United States of America. According to a Defense Department news release, Austin traveled to Ukraine to, and I quote, reinforce the staunch support of the United States for Ukraine's fight for freedom. During Austin's visit, the Defense Department announced a new security package for Ukraine totaling $100 million, one of the smallest packages, by the way, yet, as available funding for U.S. assistance begins to run low. Now, the package, which is the 51st to be provided from DOD inventories, it includes one high-mobility artillery rocket system and additional ammunition, one uh, 155-millimeter artillery rounds, Stinger anti-aircraft missiles, the tube-launched, optically tracked, wire-guided missiles. These are intense shit. 
I'm sure you're familiar with all of these, AG. It also no, includes, not really. <laughs> you're not really, that's good to, well, I guess good to know in some ways. <laughs> had I had I made it shipboard, I would be fixing pumps in an engine room. So I don't know all this stuff, but you know. Uh, oh I mean, my God. I, I, I just <laughs> I assume you know everything. Yeah. Well, thanks. You're welcome. All right. I'll continue. It also includes cold weather gear. What about that? Do you know anything? Just, okay. Demolition. Again, Southern California. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) All right. Cold weather gear, demolition uh, munitions to clear obstacles, and more than 3 million rounds of small arms ammunition. Now, as he announced the package, Austin said he sees bipartisan support in both chambers of Congress. He said, I know there are things we need to continue to work through to get the supplemental request approved, and we'll continue work with Congress to do that. And Congress, our congressional members, have valid questions that we will answer. Again, that was from Lloyd Austin. Senior defense officials in a briefing with traveling press emphasized the critical nature of Austin's visit and the message it sends that U.S. will continue to support Ukraine despite other challenges, specifically in the Middle East with Israel's fight against Hamas. While U.S. funding for aid to Ukraine is dwindling, the official said a number of capabilities that were procured over the last year and a half will begin coming online in the next few months and throughout 2024. He said, so there will be steady supply of capabilities immediately and for some time. Again, that's from the official. He also said they anticipated Russia targeting critical infrastructure in the winter months as they did last year. And I quote, they did it last winter. We've already seen some of those strikes actually in the last couple of days, but we are on track to provide a steady stream of artillery, ammunition, longer range fire throughout these months. So there's that, the official said, and said we can do both at the same time. Upon his arrival to Kyiv, Austin met with roughly 25 Americans in Ukraine as part of the Defense Department's Embassy Kyiv team. In remarks before their meeting, Austin thanked them for their work and assured them they're doing what they're doing matters. He said, when you're working hard in every day and things are going not quite like you want them to go every day, you can sometimes question whether or not what you're doing at that time is really making a difference. It is. You are enabling us to provide support to countries that's fighting for its existence. And there's probably nothing more important than that. Austin's trip comes just days before he will host the 17th meeting of the Ukraine Defense Contact Group virtually. He's going to do that virtually from the Pentagon. All right. Thank you for that. And uh, I appreciate Secretary of Defense traveling to Ukraine. That was that's good. Um, We need to get that to get those packages approved after Thanksgiving. Thank you very much for that, Dana. We'll be right back, everybody, with producer Dan Prisgoda. You don't want to miss this interview. Stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's A.G., We all know someone that's been the victim of identity theft or an online scam or that is absolutely fed up with robocalls and spam. And that's why online privacy matters. Because every time we visit a website or purchase something online or even we're just browsing, our data is mined and then sold to these data companies that use it to sell us stuff or to get in touch with us. And then it's out there for anyone to see. It's frustrating. It's annoying. It can feel violating at times. But we can protect ourselves with Delete Me. For me personally, especially after filing that lawsuit against a former guy, and frankly, because of my political views being out there on display for so long, I am a target 
of a lot of online harassment and bullying and cyber stalking. And these angry online keyboard warriors who are hunkered down in their mom's basements, they can easily obtain my personal information from these data brokers on the web. But I found a great solution with Delete Me, and I really recommend you check it out too. Delete Me, here, it finds and removes all that personal information that you don't want online. And it makes sure that it stays gone. It's an amazing subscription service. It removes those data from the largest people search databases on the web. And by doing so, it helps prevent phishing scams and potential identity theft. And it helps stop people from doxing you online for your political beliefs. All you have to do is sign up with Delete Me. Let them know exactly what information you want deleted from the interwebs, and they'll do the rest. And it's not just a one-time thing. Delete Me is constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you don't want out there for everyone to see. And my favorite part, Delete Me sends me these regular personalized privacy reports that detail what they found, where they found it, and what they removed. It's really, truly a, an incredible service. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now, a special discount for our listeners today. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash dailybeans and use promo code dailybeans at checkout. The only way to get 20% off your plan is to go to joindeleteme.com slash dailybeans and enter code dailybeans at checkout. Again, joindeleteme.com slash dailybeans, code dailybeans. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I'm super honored today to be joined by uh, an independent journalist used to work for pretty much every major uh, media outlet that you can think of for about 15 years, independent journalist now and produced some of the most impactful moments in the January 6th committee hearings. Please welcome Dan Prisgoda. Hi, Dan. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you today because we're going to talk about the media, and you have so much experience on both sides, whether it be legacy media, mainstream media, or the new media landscape that we're talking about. Um, and, you know, I just want to give everybody kind of a, like a little bit of a, an insight into how you and I sort of began talking. And uh, one of the main things was, you know, I was at the January 6th committee hearings. And one of the most talked about viral moments, actually two of the most talked about viral moments in that um, presentation or those presentations were, first of all, the Josh Howley clip of him uh, giving the fist pump to the insurrectionists on the outside of the Capitol and then once inside running back and forth uh, across a hallway. And I noticed in the hearing that you had your phone ready, queued up to, to sort of uh, capture that moment and the reaction uh, in the room uh, on video. I was like, I wonder if he had something to do with that. And it turns out you did. You produced that moment. But also you produced the testimony of Cassidy Hutchinson, which, uh, of course, was probably one of the, the most impactful moments that, that we had from those hearings. And so that's sort of how you and I began talking like, hey, what do you, hey, did you know anything? <laughs> did you set that up? What, <laughs> what was that? And, you know, we began talking. Then I interviewed you because I'm working on a book about the media. And we talked all, all about um, sort of what's going on in the media landscape right now as we gear up for 2024. And I just wanted to sort of bring that to the Daily Beans. So could you talk a little bit about those moments uh, and a little bit of your expertise in working in the media? Sure, yeah. Um, 
Well, just to back it up a little bit, you know, um, the the one of the main topics uh, that I was working on um, for many years, but uh, was especially was flaring up in 2020, was uh, looking into uh, extremist groups. And all throughout 2020, I was covering uh, the BLM marches, and I was also looking into these um uh, extremists who were uh, attempting to hide among uh, some of the BLM marchers and protesters. And so that work, I, I uh, uh, exposed a, a network of uh, these uh, Boogaloo boys, but um, we're also um, looking into the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. And so 2020 was a, was a very momentous and interesting year in looking at that because these guys, what they were doing was twofold. I mean, they were taking advantage of, you know, uh, a moment of uh, great unrest in our in our country. And at the same time, they were also kind of testing the boundaries of how much they could get away with. And we saw this, um, you know, in the state houses, like in Michigan, of people, you know, freely entering into the, uh, the, the state house there, armed with AR-15s, kitted, fully kitted up, as they would call it, with uh, tactical vests and masks and everything. And a lot of them were testing the fences on how much they could get away with. And there's a direct correlation between what they were doing throughout 2020 under the guise of these COVID lockdown protests into what we saw on January 6th. So that kind of was part of what led me into uh, working there. And, you know, like we saw on, on January 6th, just a horrifying moment of the Capitol being overrun. And, you know, there was, um, you know, we've, we've seen the, or, the organized movement of the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. And, you know, they're still finding the FBI are still finding people and they're still charging people who were involved uh, in that moment. So. When I, when I was called in to, to work with them, you know, I was very, very proud to do this and very happy to do this because I think that, you know, what happened quickly after January 6th of 2021 is that there was an attempt to kind of whitewash it and to um, make people forget about it. And one of the things that I, I'm very proud of with uh, the work of the committee is that it brought it back to the forefront of the national conversation. And we could talk about what led into uh, the insurrection, uh, the, some of the failures and some of the uh, uh, key people that were uh, involved in, in attempting to uh, subvert uh, the 2020 election. Yeah. And, you know, there was a recent filing by Jack Smith in the D.C. case against Donald Trump, where he said he plans to basically put the attack on the Capitol front and center uh, in his case in chief, and that it was the culmination of all of the attempts to overthrow the election and, and, you know, retain power and block the peaceful transfer of power, and that they intend to prove in court that Donald Trump sent them there for that purpose. And I think that that's the first time, in fact, I know it's the first time, we have gotten a clear sort of understanding of what uh, the special counsel intends to prove at trial with regard to the attack on the Capitol, because when the indictment came out, you know, obstructing the official proceeding with a fraudulent elector scheme, uh, conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy against rights, it didn't really hit you upside the head that the attack on the Capitol was the centerpiece of the indictment. 
until Donald Trump wanted to remove the language about January 6th from the indictment, calling it incendiary and prejudicial. And then, of course, in response to that motion to, to strike that language from the indictment, that's when we get finally from uh, from Jack Smith, his intent to prove those things uh, in court. And, and I think that the work of the January 6th committee uh, and, and in particular, even the, the testimony of Cassidy Hutchinson uh, had, a, had a lot to do with that and and how how that day is presented. And I, I you know, if I were you, I'd be like, man, I, I wish I could help the, <laughs> the prosecution with putting on their their case in chief uh, using the video of that day. But uh, I think we'll see that. But it, I, I think that, you know, it kind of leads into our discussion of uh, what we're going to talk about today, because. You know, it's again, I think it's hard to think it's hard to think back to 2021, like immediately after it happened. And the January 6th committee didn't start airing our hearings until the summer of 2022. And all throughout that time, you didn't see a lot of, you know, major news outlets replaying that footage, digging into it or anything. And I, you know, my opinion is that, you know, the January 6th committee um kind of re-sparked that conversation and again a lot of these legacy media uh outlets had this stuff in their archives they were able to go out and find the people who were involved in it ask the questions and so the thing that i think we all have to ask ourselves is why didn't they why didn't they yeah and let's let's kick off that conversation with that because the, I think one of the main things that that you and I both talked about at least in our interview um with regard to the book is the horse race media. Talk a little bit about that, what your experience is with that, and how we're seeing it in action now well i mean i I think you know it's the the framing comes out of uh you know Washington is who's won the day and who's lost the day. And that's what they're focused on, whether it's polls, whether it's a gaffe, whether it's, you know, some kind of viral moment. And I think that there is a lack of uh, digging into reporting about what this actually means and how the country actually feels. And I think that there is uh, uh, unfair framing of uh, a lot of the issues at hand. Um, I mean, there were uh, reports even back in 2021 uh, saying that, you know, Biden's Build Back Better Act was going to be horrible for the country. We've seen reports, you know, again, going back from 2021 from, you know, CNBC and Bloomberg that there's going to be a recession just around the corner, just around the corner. And you can point to like, you know, headlines that are sometimes a year to the date apart of there's a 100% chance of a recession didn't happen. There's a 100% chance of a recession didn't happen. And so what ends up happening is that I think that the media is not really good at digging into the whys of these issues. They are just digging into presenting them. They're saying, you know, for instance, high gas prices. Uh, there's a report on, on GMA, uh, I believe from April, you know, uh, complaining about high gas prices are just around the corner. And one of the things that they blame for the high gas prices is Biden announcing that uh, he's going to ref refuse to drill in the Alaskan wildlife. <laughs> well, I, I think that that is patently ridiculous to say that, well, that's the reason why your gas is now 10 cents, 20 cents higher when there's a mo whole multitude of reasons for it. There is, you know, OPEC 
cutting off production. There's hurricane season that impacts oil refineries offshore. There is corporate greed. Corporate greed. Let's let's talk. I I, I mean, because, you know, Philip Bump at the Post just put out this great opinion piece saying you're going to have to adjust your talking points, because at this point in in Biden's presidency, we have exported more oil and drilled more oil than Trump did. And at this point in his presidency, and he is like, you're going to if you're thinking that we're sitting on some giant reserve of untapped oil, you need to rethink your talking points. Um, And so I, you know, I'm appreciative of of um, the Washington Post for putting that piece out, but that's not what gets the coverage, right? No, and and you know, in 2022, you know, Biden sold from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve that actually helped lower gas prices during 2022. How many articles have we seen about that? How much TV coverage have we gotten about that? It's it, you know, we get the you know uh, morning news show program about here's the most ridiculous gas prices in the country. Everyone's feeling pain at the pump. And so then it's no surprise that when they turn around and CNN presents these polls saying that, well, the mood of the country is, you know, a third of people don't think Biden is doing a good job for the economy. It's like, well, you know, I again, I'm not saying that the media should be. You created that, you know, you you made that true. Like it's well, you're wagging the dog. You're, You're like the economy is, you know, people don't like the economy. Oh, here's a poll saying people don't like the economy. How come? You know, and it's it's just like, okay, well, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Perhaps if you focused on the good things in the economy, um, like a, a, you know, flat inflation over the past month, you know, we would would see that (laughs) reflected in the polling paid for by political parties uh, and presented to the media to continue the, the horse race. It, it it sometimes feels like they are reading off that uh, Twitter account, the New York Times pitch bot, but taking it seriously, you know, of saying like, you know, there is a uh, record jobs numbers out. How is this bad for Biden? Um, unemployment is the lowest ever. How is this bad for Biden? And we, you know, we joke about that, but it's also you can see how surprised uh, a lot of the, the pundits were. Um, after uh, last Tuesday's election, where the Democrats, you know, um, regained control of the House in Virginia, where, you know, the uh, Ohio overwhelmingly voted in favor of preserving uh, rights for uh, for abortion. And you, you could see in the lead up to that, too, that all of these pundits and all of these news programs were just going off that uh, poll where Biden was down by one point against Trump in key swing states. So they were expecting a disaster. They were saying, oh, you know, Biden's unpopular nationally. Um, and then the next morning, they all have to kind of, you know, try to spin it uh, in the opposite direction. And they're, they they show that they are not prepared for this moment. Mm. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of instances of that. I know you gathered quite a few clips. Yeah. And I think uh, one one that I'd like to talk about is, you know, recently on Meet the Press, uh, Kristen Welker had um, Ronna McDaniel on. And this was right after Trump at a rally uh, used the term vermin to describe people on the other side. And this is, as people pointed out, that, you know, this is right in line with things that Hitler and Mussolini have said. And so she has horrifying message of to, to call your political opponents vermin. And so she has the head of the RNC on her show and basically just asks her, well, how does she feel about that? 
Ronna McDaniel totally dodges the question. She says that Trump supports veterans and our troops, which, again, it doesn't take that much to go back and say, well, he didn't uh, want to show up to a World War One memorial in France that he is apparently, according to his chief of staff, his uh, disparaged veterans and dead, uh, excuse me, um, service members who have been uh, killed when he was visiting uh, Arlington. And she just completely steamrolls Kristen Welker and says, well, the thing to point out is that at the debates, there was a, you know, uh, that you guys had co-sponsored the debate with a Jewish organization. And Kristen just moves on. There is no pushback. There is no, you know, this this terminology comes right from Hitler, right from Mussolini. And the response is, well, I'm great. I'm glad that the uh, GOP debate was co-sponsored by a by a Jewish organization. And again, you were you were doing this is a very serious moment. This is someone who is the front runner of the GOP, who is likely, you know, is going to be the nominee for them. And this is not horrifying to you. This is not something that we should treat seriously, that this is politics is normal, that this is just part of the Trump show. I mean, what what are we doing here? Yeah, exactly. And we have that clip of Ron McDaniel on Meet the Press. Let's listen. I mean, as you know, Hunter Biden is still under investigation by special counsel. Let me, really let me, let me, thank goodness we have the house. Let me, let me move on though, because I know you don't want to get into messaging, but let me just ask you big picture because uh, former President Trump did raise eyebrows yesterday with his Veterans Day message. I'm just going to read you part of it. He says, quote, in honor of our great veterans on Veterans Day, we pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country, lies, steal, and cheat on elections and will do anything possible, whether legally or illegally, to destroy America. Are you comfortable with this language coming from the GOP frontrunner? Again, I am not going to comment on candidates and their campaign messaging. I will say this. I know President Trump supports the veterans. Our whole party supports our veterans. And I do think we're at a very, very serious moment in our country. The one thing I wish had come out more in our debate is that the RNC and NBC, for the first time ever, had a Jewish co-sponsor for a debate. I am really um, proud of that history that we created. So thank you for being part of that, because this is a time where we met the moment. Thank you so much for having us. It was an honor thank to you. co-moderate that debate. We thank really you. appreciate it. Rhonda McDaniel. Yeah, I mean, you're right. She just steamrolled past everything. And it, it seems like the, the habit here on Meet the Press recently, whether it's this interview or the one with Donald Trump, is like, well, let's just throw it back to the studio and let them talk about it after the fact and fact check it after the fact instead of doing it in real time. Here's here's another clip that I wanted to ask you about. This has to do with uh, a CNN poll on Tuesday, the recent election that we had that was, by the way, a huge blowout for Democrat. I mean, we cleaned the floor with Republican asses on this election. But let's listen to this clip. Back, Democrats pulling off big wins in Ohio, Kentucky and Virginia last night. There are still serious headwinds, though, facing President Biden's reelection campaign. There is a brand new CNN national poll this morning, and it shows Donald Trump beating Biden in a hypothetical rematch, 49 to 45. And when it comes to favorability ratings, both candidates are underwater, 39 percent favorable versus unfavorable for Biden. Trump, not too far off, 38 percent favorable versus 56 percent unfavorable. Still, what this poll makes clear is that Americans see Biden's weakness as Trump's strength on whether the candidate has the stamina 
sharpness to serve effectively only a quarter of Americans back Biden compared to 53 percent who say Trump has that. And on being an effective world leader, Biden comes in at 36 percent. Trump comes in at 48 percent. Meanwhile, we are seeing the same trends nationally that we saw in those swing state polls from The New York Times and Siena College. Biden losing support among key groups that helped him win in 2020. So uh, let's talk about that clip. Well, let's let's talk about, you know, these polls in general, like, number one, the the poll that came out, uh, it's it's a year out from the election. So I don't put too much stock into polls a year out from election when you haven't had Biden running a traditional campaign to begin with. He's out there being the president and also on the media side of like you're kind of not treating Trump as the presumptive nominee in a real way. You're still flirting with these other candidates for the GOP that are coming up. And just let's let's think about who picks up the phone and who answers these kinds of polls. They are going to skew in a certain way. And again, if all of your all that you're pointing out is the economy is bad and everything is bad because of Biden and we're not going to cover any of his accomplishments, you know, like how many times during the 2016 election do the cables cut to an empty podium waiting for Trump to show up? And now how many times during this upcoming election cycle are we seeing cameras waiting for Biden to stand in front of a bridge that's, you know, going to be renovated? Um, You know, they barely cover him when he is standing on the line with United Auto Workers, which is, again, a huge moment for a sitting president to be out there on the picket line with striking workers. So you're getting a skewed sense of what the mood of the country is. And it is kind of this echo chamber and this circular kind of conversation around it of people can talk about this, but all you're putting out is uh, coverage that I I think is not balanced and not fair and not looking into the real mood of the country. And I fully expect, uh, you know, 2024, uh, the what do people in diners think coverage to to start uh, very quickly <laughs> for mm. for all the mainstream. Yeah. And I mean, it's it seems uh, it should seem obvious. I mean, in, you know, 2012, we had this same kind of polling and coverage of uh, Obama's race against uh, Mitt Romney. Uh, we saw it in 2016, where it was 96 percent sure Hillary was going to win. And that was just sort of everybody's thing. We saw it in 2018 when, uh, oh, the Democrats are going to fall flat on their face. And there was a blue tsunami. Um, I mean, we picked up dozens of seats. Then we saw it again, obviously, in 2020. We all tried to warn about the red mirage. And and uh, we saw that again. And, and then in 2022, clearly, the Everybody, oh, and all the pollsters, red wave, red wave, which never materialized. And then 2023, we've had this election where everyone's like, oh, it could go either way. Oh, it's a toss up. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And then we blow it out. And then everyone says the Democrats are awesome, except for Biden, the leader of the party. And now we're going to head into this same, same old, same old with 2024. And before I let you go, I wanted to play a clip for you. I saw, I think it was uh, Rachel Maddow on Seth Meyers this week and uh, her her kind of view of how this horse race media can can fail us and the way that things are being covered. Let's let's check that out. I feel like the thing that I have come to understand by looking at the way it operated in other time periods, not just looking at it in other countries, but looking at it in our own country, is that when people are telling you something about a minority group that, that says they're not just bad, they're not just things about them that you shouldn't like, but they're 
evil, that they are secretly powerful, that they're the reason things are bad. That sort of toxic conspiracy theory about a minority group has a purpose. It is always to make us think that we shouldn't be in a, in a democracy. Because right, a democracy is that we all decide things together. That's the basic idea of it. You have to put a seed in people's mind that there are some people among us who aren't just bad, they're dangerous, and they're out to get us, and we need to be protected from them. And therefore, we can't have a democracy, because we can't have those people voting too, and we need, we need a government that's going to protect us from those dangerous people. That's the purpose of those, not just stereotypes, but those dangerous conspiracies, conspiracy theories about disfavored minority groups. And that form of anti-Semitism is part of fascism. It's part of authoritarianism. It's part of trying to make us give up our democracy. And it's evil and it's pernicious and it keeps repeating itself and it ought to be a big red flag to all of us. It's not just about hating people. It's about getting to, to undo democracy and we shouldn't stand for it. Yeah, and so Maddow's exactly right there. She, you know, this is, these are the red flags that should be raised. It shouldn't be, oh, there might be a process about impeachment for Joe Biden in the House of Representatives today. It's, um, hey, they are trying to elect an autocrat. They are trying to install fascism uh, by breaking the government. And where is that coverage, I think, is, is, is the big question. It's, it's, it's so well said. And it's, it's a sentiment that I agree with of that. This is, this is a different moment. This is a very different moment than in any other presidential election. We can't. The media can't run by the same playbook that they have in the past. We have to take these things very seriously. I mean, look what it led up to. Look on January 6th, again, of this unchecked rhetoric, this unchecked aggression. So I think the media has to really reinvent their playbook. And we have to hold people accountable. We have to be able to say for a fact, Joe Biden won the 2020 election. And if you put people on air, that can't say that fact, you should not be platforming them. You should not be giving them airtime because they are perpetuating a lie. And you wouldn't put, and, and again, the, the test that I, I always, and the questions that I always like to ask is, where's the line for this? Where would you not put someone on air? Because a lot of newsrooms have a lot of rules and a lot of you know, uh, procedures about who you should air, who you should quote, what you should take seriously. So why are they continuing to fall for this? And I think we know the reason why is that it's good ratings. I, yeah, um, I would like to, I don't know, I would like to talk to them and say that there's, <laughs> there's other, there's other ways to make money. There's other ways to get ratings. I mean, covering a potential fascist party in our country, uh, I think it would meet their, you know, their profit center bottom line sort of requirements on getting the clicks and views. I mean, if you if you want to talk about like fear and uh, the things that sell um, and if you if you're if your only incentive is money, you know, I don't understand how you're missing this. Do you know what I mean? Like totally. And I. And, and and I think I think too that there has been you know this belief for going on for many years that well let's just get people into the tent and that's why you see you know uh, programs like Meet the Press uh, through you know the current host and and Chuck Todd and you know uh, you know mainstream media outlets uh, 
across the spectrum, they want to platform people because they believe that, well, we'll play to the other side and we'll get them in and they'll watch our programs, they'll click on our articles and it's going to increase our viewership, it's going to increase our audience and they'll get the real story then. We'll, we'll, we'll be able to penetrate these groups and they'll get the real story, but that never happens. They just keep trying to get more views and more views and more views and never actually pivot to the story that they want to share with the larger audience. Yes, and and the audience that they're trying to get doesn't trust them anyway, and they're going to retreat back to you know their own silos and everything. So I, I don't understand and I don't agree with treating uh, people who perpetuate these kinds of lies with kid gloves. I think that it's a responsibility of the media to be a check on the powerful, to hold people uh, to you know not get away with lies and you know not to platform these lies that that's that's our responsibility is is to do that and if we're not prepared to meet that moment and we're not doing that then again what are we doing here yeah and i will say that there are um some anchors and uh, journalists uh, throughout mainstream media that do focus on these things and focus on the things that need to be i mean we just saw matto on seth myers on a mainstream media network talking about this so that is excellent you know there just needs to be more of it i think it needs to be more consistent and uh especially if you're going to platform these people they need to be fact-checked in real time as it happens which is uh you know i gotta be honest it's difficult to do with donald trump because he'll just roll right over you he'll just roll and roll and roll but there are folks like Mehdi Hassan and, uh, you know, people who will not let you off the hook until you answer this question, will not let you pivot to another point or, or a talking point or a spin until you answer this question. There was a great interview with Jim on CNN the other day with uh, uh, one of the Republican reps talking about the, the Hunter Biden investigation. And, you know, he, he's like, are you going to vote to hold Jim and Hunter Biden in contempt if they don't show up for their subpoena. And he's like, well, of course I will. Absolutely. And he's like, but you didn't vote for Bannon's contempt to the January 6th thing. And he's like, well, tell me what public office Bannon ever held. And he's like, well, tell me what public office Jim Biden or Hunter Biden ever held. You know, and it, it, it he wouldn't let him off the hook. And I appreciate that. He never really, truly got the answer. But eventually you have to give in to but time. <laughs> At least he tried. And uh, that was John Berman. And uh, I, I, I love John Berman. And full disclosure, I used to work with uh, John Berman. Oh, sorry. I think I said Jim. It was John Berman. Yeah, he's great. Mehdi Hassan is great. And and again, um, I, I would think that both of them would tell you that, like, it's not that hard to prepare for these interviews. Mehdi Hassan is ready, you know, with the facts, with the clips. He know, you know, the thing is, too, when again, when I'm, I'm talking about the certain people uh on on the right you kind of know what they're going to say you kind of know what their talking points are going to be so it's your job to prepare for these what are you going to present to dispute that refute it challenge them on their own voting records or history and yeah i mean i i think that if we had moments like that all the time you would see the ratings go up and you wouldn't have to you would have to uh uh, sell out your principles for it either. Agreed. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, you know, and I do, I, I do know we talked about several 
issues where you just need to keep somebody in that seat for that hour. And that's why you're not rough. You know, you don't poke back at them too hard is because if they get up and walk away, you haven't filled your hour. But man, that that would go viral so fast. So uh, yeah, we've we've talked about that offline. And I I just don't understand it. I want to continue this conversation, but we are short on time. Uh, But please tell everyone where they can find and follow you. I, I, I'm mainly on Twitter. Uh, I hang on. I, I hang out there a lot. Uh, my username is uh, at D-P-R-Z-Y-G-O-D-A. And um, I try to uh, balance balance my feed with uh, serious uh, topics and uh, some light humor every now and then. Well, thank you so much for your good work. I'd hate to think where we would be if we didn't have the, the produced Cassidy Hutchinson uh, testimony on January 6th. And, and we certainly all wouldn't have... Uh, gotten a little bit of levity without that uh, without that Josh Holly clip. So uh, I, I, I appreciate uh, all of the work that you're doing, the work that you did there and the work that you've done and will continue to do. My friend, Dan Prisgoda, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. And if you have any good news or confessions, corrections, you want to play what the ever, <laughs> what, what the animal, what the what the hell is in that shell or what the shell? What do we have? Opine on the bovine? What the hequine? What the mutt? Cat me if you can't. I mean, anything. Seriously, we'll try to guess. It's fun. I have fun doing that. Uh, if you have a shout out to a loved one, a, a partner, a spouse, a family member, a friend, a small business in your community, if you can't pay pod pet tax, perhaps you can send us an adoptable pet in your area. Anything at all, Wooby stories, blanky stories, theses and dissertation titles, frog orgies, baby pictures, you name it, send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up from Lori, pronouns she and her. Thanks, AG and Dana, for all you do to promote truth, justice, and the sanity of your faithful leguminati. Perhaps the mispronunciation of the name uh, of the March King was humorous, but I wanted to report the O-U in Sousa is pronounced like you, like Suze. Okay, Sousa. Uh, Same goes for the eponymous wearable tuba, the Sousaphone. (laughs) Sorry to pick such a very tiny nit. No, please. I love these. My high school friends told me I was doomed to be a little bitty English teacher. Close, but I'm a little bitty bureaucrat. Oh, well. Hope you have uh, a fabulous holiday season, the fabulous holiday season you deserve. As pod pet tax, I submit my friend Maxwell, who rescued me in 2019 and will be 16 years old on December 9th. He's a designer mutt, a chihuahua crossed with a papillon. Oh, look. <laughs> He's, He's cute, a little floops. ears and little, the little kind of flags coming down off his ears. Adorable pup. So good. All right. This is from Panda Chronicles, pronounced she and her. I knew I could count on you to convey the most important matter discussed between Biden and Xi Jinping. Nope. How do you say it? Did I do that right? Xi Jinping. Look at me. All right. Xi Jinping. I got one right. We don't even need an edit. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. I am, of course, referring to the re-pandification of the U.S., notably... Pan Diego in D.C. Pan Diego is my closest zoo, although the weather for pandas is far better in Seattle. Just saying. <laughs> Life has been feeling pretty dark with um, what with the wave of fascism that TFG and GQP at large are threatening us with. So the news that she, uh, yep, she actually 
said he would like to continue the Rent-A-Panda program was music to my troubled soul. I'm well aware that China's human rights issues are vast and terrible, and not just China. But pandas are magic. Pandas are joy. And without that joy, it's hard to fight the bad stuff. Now for a shout out. Uh, With what all the assaults on our climate which leads to assaults on our food production systems. We need to support the wave of new, smaller-scale farms that are practicing organic and regenerative farming. I am quite blessed to live in an area where the regenerative farming regenerative farming movement is growing. We have a wealth of small farms here that not only sell through farmers' markets, but also through local grocery stores. What has spurred this food mecca? The Whibley Island Organic Farm School. The, Whid- the Whidbey Island Organic Farm School. And we'll have a link to that. It's literally organicfarmschool.org. Yes, you too can learn to be a farmer. They're taking applications for next year's program. It's a small, focused, ha- hands-on, learning everything you need to know kind of program. While some of the students come from the local area, many have come across the U.S. and go to their communities to bring better food home. I know I sound like a recruiter, but while I sometimes volunteer there for some of their food events, I have no ulterior motive for singing their praises, other than pandas really like carrots. If any of the Beans listeners were thinking that they wanted to get into farming, this is a wonderful program. Thanks again for providing some sanity news with swearing and good news to the world. Don't forget to find some joy and pandas from time to time so we can keep going and fight these fascists. For pet tax, I include a baby panda. Bah. Look at the baby panda. So good. One of my favorite memes is that little baby panda sneezing and scaring the shit out of her mother. Yeah. I don't know if you see, it's one of the funniest, like I will watch it on loop. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I've seen it. Like I've, I've watched it a million times. It brings me so much joy. So that's awesome. Organicfarmschool.org, everybody, if you want to check that out. Thank you so much, Panda Chronicles. Next up from Anonymous, pronouns he and him. I want to thank AG and DG for my morning news fix with swears and thank the Leguminati who recommended the PEP podcast out of Australia. It's a fun perspective from outside the U.S. and it makes you notice that there are different accents within Australia because in the first episode I played, one host talks about Trump's bail and the other confusedly said that he didn't want to know about Trump's bowels. <laughs> obviously, listen to uh, obviously listen to Beans Jack and other MSW pods, but add pep if you have extra time and listen to listen. Maybe you spend a lot of time walking dogs, perhaps. My pod pet tax is picture of our dogs to prove this breed doesn't just lay around all the time, like people think, and to give AG and DG a chance to boost their success percentage. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, these are beautiful basset hounds. So they cute. really are. Look at the face of the one on the left because the wrinkles. <laughs> it's so cute. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for that submission as well. This next one's from Mo from Colorado, pronouns she and her. First, I love you both. I'm so happy that you, Allison, gave Peach Struck and Andrew McCabe a platform. So short shout out to myself. When three girls moved in with me in 2014, they only voted in presidential elections. I convinced them that all were important. Now they remind me old age. Now, this month, we were running behind, and good news, we had volunteers come to our door. Pictures of my doggies, you can guess breeds, but they are both rescues. I lost the gray one last summer. He was a purebred. Oh, Oh, look at these adorable little babies. They're very cute. What, are the, what the do we second, think here? The second like one a, looks like a chihuahua mixed with like a lab or a I know, it's so cute. Yeah. 
The gray one looks kind of like a Chinese crested with a terrier, like a rat terrier or something. He's beautiful, little baby. I know. Little hairless. Let's see. Oh, it's the one that I can't say. What the hell is that? A Zolo... A Zolitzkuntel? It's a holo it's canittle. It's like a it's like a it's a Mexican. <laughs> that is not bottle. how you say that either. <laughs> <laughs> Can someone without like destroying our brains write in with a phonetic pronunciation of this dog? Z X O L O I T Z C U I N T L E. Holo it's canittle. Canittle. Quintal. Quintal. That's, yeah. Quintal. It's like a, it's a, Zola, it's Quintal. Quintal? <laughs> I don't, you know what? I feel very drunk right now. Okay. But the other don't dog is that. a Dachshund Beagle. A we didn't get either of those. No, I'm, I took German. I should have taken Spanish, but I did not. But, my God. And then a golden, the one is a Dachshund Beagle? Question yep. mark? All right. So, so they don't know. Yeah, it's so cute that, as hell. That's what it is. We can't be wrong if they don't even know. Exactly. Except on the pronunciation of Zolitz Quintal. <laughs> Zolitz Quintal. Oh I thought an X in Spanish was an H sound, like Oaxaca. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, is it a, is it a, is a Spanish word? I, I believe so. Oh. But then there's the oxalotl. I don't, you know what? <laughs> I don't know. Somebody tell us. <laughs> okay, please. <laughs> Next up from Amy, pronouns she and her. Uh, Benas Dias to you, my queens. I always love the show. I sort of have a self-brag. I'm a fairly decent knitter, and I really enjoy knitting colorful things. Christmas stockings lend themselves to that. I have made the ones in the picture over the last couple of weeks. I'm hoping to sell some, and I'll fix the heel on the red snowflake one. It's all wrong. At a local festival in December. Next year, I might branch out into taking orders. For pet tax, please enjoy our former magnificent Bull Willie. He is an American milking Devon, a breed of cattle used for meat and milk. Their meat is delicious, and the milk, don't milk the bulls, is high fat and makes excellent butter and cheese. Thanks for being you. Happy Thanksgiving. Look at this American milking Devon. I'm glad we didn't have to guess that. <laughs> but uh, beautiful. Beautiful oh animal. God, beautiful indeed. Oh, these stockings are gorgeous. They are. I want to put them on my feetsy instead of the fireplace. Both. Done. Totally both. All right. This is from Valerie. Pronouns she and her. First and foremost, thank you both for all you do. Can't imagine starting my day without the beans. Not good news, but I just listened to the 1120 episode and I need more information about a line from Clue in the old episodes. I started listening to the beans in 2022. So that was before my time. But if those episodes are still available to listen to, I would just for the clue reference alone. One of the best movies ever flames flames on the side of my face. Flame, fl heaving, breathing, he heaving breaths, fla flames, okay. flames on the side of my face. What you also need to watch Valerie and everybody is a movie with Steve Martin and Madeline Kahn called Mixed nuts it is a christmas film it is one of my favorite movies and madeline khan is brilliant in it uh you will not be uh, disappointed liv schreiber plays uh, a beautiful trans woman it's amazing you don't want to miss it uh also uh what you're talking about there the clue reference this goes back to muller she wrote you can find here's where the old muller she wrote episodes live they live on the jack podcast feed 
So if you go to the Jack podcast and scroll all the way back to the old, you know, because we only started the Jack podcast about a year ago. So anything older than a year is going to be Muller She Wrote. And the intro from Muller She Wrote ends with, um, what is her? It's uh, Miss Scarlet. No, communism is a red herring. I'm a capitalist. So I'm a member of the oldest profession. I'm a capitalist. That's that's in the intro music. So enjoy. That is our show for today. I would love to thank Dan Prisgoda for joining me for that interview. Truly uh, incredible to speak to such a, a prolific producer, somebody who's been in media for so long. So I appreciate his time. Dana, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here? I do. I just want to announce a couple shows in Florida for 2024. I know I'm going to Florida because we've got good people in Florida that need to laugh too. So on January 28th, it's a Sunday. I'll be doing that matinee show at the Tampa Improv at 4 p.m. Those tickets are available on my website, danagoldberg.com under appearances. And the big show that just got announced in Fort Lauderdale, this is going to be at the Sunshine Cathedral. This is an MCC church. It's a very loving, warm, welcoming venue. I cannot wait. It'll be my first time uh, performing there. So if you're anywhere near the Fort Lauderdale area, it's going to be on April 12th, which is also my birthday. So come spend my birthday with me. And you can get tickets on sale at my website as well on the appearance page of danagoldberg.com. Awesome. I'm so excited for you. That's going to be such a cool show. All of your shows are amazing. Thank you. That one um, in Fort Lauderdale is going to be a banger. As the kids say, like, <laughs> do they even anymore? Probably not. I'm, I probably sound like my mom trying to say groovy. Okay. Well, uh, with that, why don't we why don't we end the show? Um, don't forget tomorrow we have a, a new episode of Clean Up on L45. And I'm excited about that as well. So everybody, until uh, tomorrow when we're back in your ears, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, take care of your family. Vote blue over Q. And please take everyone you know with you. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And that was The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first time lawyer, I wanna act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client 
the judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is lawyers, guns, and money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.